Well, good morning. I'm uh, Sonny Flowers, one of the pastors here on staff, and it's so good for all of you to be here this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, there's a Hey, I'm Here card attached to your worship guide. You can fill that out if you would. Let us know if any prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, and for those who are watching at home, you can do that digitally. So this is Local Mission Sunday. It's a great opportunity for us to celebrate what God is doing through our missions programs here. And I wanted to start with a little short recap of uh, the Love Your Neighbor campaign that we did about a month or so ago in which we had you bring in blankets and coats and all the things. But I'm going to show you a little recap and let you hear some of the impact that was done through the through your giving and through your serving and doing that. So take a look overhead. Well, thank you again for your involvement in that. You know what excited me more than anything is all the people who came and helped write blankets and write little scripture cards and prayed for people and as they were doing the blankets. See, that's what really impacts people is that special touch, that human touch from people. Well, let me pray before we begin this morning. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we ask, Lord, for your presence to abide here, and Lord, teach us all truth through your word. And so, Lord, I just uh, pray, Lord, that the meditation of my heart and the words that I speak, God, will be pleasing unto you, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many years ago when I was a new Christian at Renolda Church, the first ministry I got involved in was local missions. And the Lord has used that in my life in powerful ways. It has opened my heart, and it's been one of my lifelong passions, locally and international. It's been one of the greatest blessings for me. I've witnessed the transforming power of God through the gospel over and over and over in so many people's lives. This morning, I feel really honored that the local missions team asked me to speak on local missions today. See, I believe when we go out and we serve others in our community, it really opens a door for us in ways that other ways it wouldn't. It's really to go out and share the gospel with other people boldly. And so for us to do that, I think we need to understand some things about what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus. So I wanted to look at four truths, and they'll be on the screen overhead, and it's that as followers of Jesus, we are called, we're equipped, we're empowered, and we're sent. And see, when we apply these truths, when we understand these, and we go out and serve and we get to share our faith, but we do that by following the example that Jesus sets for his first disciples. So the first thing is, the first truth is that we're called by him. We find in the gospel of Matthew 4, 18 through 22, this calling of Jesus's first disciples. It says, while they were Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left 
the boat and their father and followed him. And see, I believe from this first thing about that as followers of Jesus, we are called, we see three principles. And the first one is this. We need to be listening and hear for that call of Jesus in our life. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And in this passage, when Jesus, the word, as he's called in John, says, follow me, what did they do? They responded. See, we really need to understand that this call of Jesus, it's not an invitation. Rather, it's a command. In the Greek, it's translated, come to me or come after me. That's an imperative call. He's not asking. He's given us a command. It's a demand based upon the electing grace of God. The truth is that his grace is irresistible. See, today when we hear the call of Jesus to follow him, it's the same thing. He calls, come to me, come after me, follow me. And I pray today that someone here or someone watching at home will hear his call today. It's irresistible. The second principle about this calling is that we need to respond to it, to answer to it. Now, we see how these first disciples responded to Jesus. They immediately left everything, their nets, their boats, even their father to follow Jesus. I I picture this. They're sitting there working, and all of a sudden, they just drop everything, and they're like, they're going this way. Isn't that what we do? When our lives gets changed by the gospel, we do a 180-degree turn, and we follow him. See, that's the principle there. Now, think about this. Here's these guys as fishermen, and they do this for a living. Jesus does not give them any details about, okay, this is what you're going to be doing. He didn't tell them what it meant to follow him. He he didn't share with them uh, what their days were going to look like, how were they going to eat and survive, how were they going to take care of their families they were leaving behind. He just simply called them to follow me, and they responded immediately. See, when we hear that call of God in our life, we know that it's him, and we respond. Now, I'm afraid that today, because maybe some of our intellectual, we think we know everything. We, today, some people want to know everything. They want to know the who, what, when, where, and how. What does that look like? But see, responding to Jesus and answering his call as a follower, it really means following his direction and his plans, his timing, his examples, not ours. Man, I wish I did that every day, but I don't. That's why I'm so appreciative of God's grace when we don't do that. But when we do that, man, God blesses us, and we get to see him working in our lives. See, as as called followers of Jesus who have heard the call, and they've answered his call, they also need to do something. It's the last song that they sang. We need to follow his example of being a servant. We need to humble ourselves. But we need to go out and serve with love and humility. 
Look at the passage here in John 13, 12 through 17. This is on the night that the Last Supper, Maundy Thursday, when he washes the disciples' feet. Listen to what he says to his disciples. When he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Did you get that? So I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. And truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you. He's telling us, giving us an example of how to be a servant of Jesus with love and humility. He's given them an example to follow. And for us today, see, we need to understand that's really, really important, important in our culture. And they called him, I think the really interesting thing, they called him teacher and Lord, and he adds more than that. He really starting to reveal who he is because he says, you're right in saying so, but I'm the great I am. The God of all heaven in flesh now takes on, he becomes a humble king. He becomes a servant. He takes his role from heaven and he comes down to serve. You know, we know from history that the servant who washed the feet of a homeowner was the lowliest of servant. When someone would come to a house as a hot sign of hospitality, they'd been walking on the roads with the dirt and the dust and all the, you know, the animal waste. Their feet were filthy. And the servant would do that as a sign of hospitality. And here Jesus is taking on that role. See, the picture that Jesus has given us is a godly picture of servanthood. And servanthood evangelism today works the best in our culture. See, we're to have this inner attitude of love and humility and an eagerness to serve other people regardless of the deeds or conditions. We're not to become puffed up over our calling or our position or accomplishments or our spirituality. Look at these passages from Mark 1045 and in Philippians 2. We see this same example of Jesus' servanthood comes out more and more. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus did that for you and for me. He humbled himself. He's a servant. He's called us to be a servant. When we hear that call and we respond to that call and when we start serving others with love and humility, then we're really ready to go out and be a witness for him. That's what Jesus had been teaching these guys. But he doesn't leave us to do that on our own because if we do, we will fail. The second truth about being a follower of Jesus is that he equips us to do that, to be one of his followers. Back in Matthew 4, 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say you are going to become. He says, I will make you. He's pointing to the fact that he is the one that will equip them for everything they need for ministry. Now, this statement, fishers of men, it would really be understood to four fishermen, wouldn't it? And he's using this, Jesus is using this analogy to make these men realize that when they answered that call to follow him, he would be the one to show them and teach them how to go out and share about the kingdom of God. He's the one who does that for us. Another example of this is found in Luke 5, 4. It'll be overhead. And in this passage here, it's kind of an, another recounting of calling of these first disciples. It's still at the Sea of Galilee. And he had been teaching on the shore far off, and there was a crowd there. And he saw Simon Peter's boat, and he called him over, and he got in his boat and finished up his teaching. And then he tells Peter to do something a little strange. He says, Put out into the deep and lower your nets. You see, the common practice of fishing then and even now there, when I, went, when I was there a, many, a few years back in Israel, we went to the Sea of Galilee and went out on one of the boats. And the guy said, we do a lot of our fishing at night or early in the morning when the cool of the day comes or at night and the fish come more to the surface. And now Jesus is telling them, go out to the deep in the middle of the day and let down your net. See, what they would do is cast their nets out and pull them back, cast them out and pull them back. It was a lot of work. Now, they'd been out all night long fishing. They'd caught nothing. And now Jesus is telling them to put out. I know Peter was thought, probably thinking, Lord, we don't, uh, Jesus, we don't do it like that around here. That just doesn't work. But what does Peter do? He listens to Jesus. And the result was the catch was so large that their nets began to tear. They had to call another boat over. And the other boat filled, filled up both boats and they began to sink. They had so many fish in them. It was at this point that Peter really realizes who Jesus is and he bows down at his feet and he calls him Lord. And Jesus tells Peter this, from now on, you will be catching men. And then Jesus took these men and he spent three years discipling them and pouring into them, equipping them for ministry. And you know what? Today, 
we're still fishers of men for all those who believe. See, this promise that Jesus will equip us is made clear from this passage. He is the one who helps us just to cast the net of the gospel to people around us. In other words, he's the one who directs us to the people that we need to share with. And it's real simple. I was at a wedding last night, and a guy asked me a strange question. He says, you keep change in your pocket? I'm like, no, I never have any money. I'm all, I don't have any change. And I, we started laughing, and he pulled. He says, yeah, I keep change. And he had a little silver cross in his pocket. He says, I do this because I want people to see not the change, but the change that Jesus brought in my life. And he handed me a little silver. See how easy it is? See, Jesus equips us and he reads us to the right people. He's still teaching us today through his word and through his spirit. We just need to take time to sit at his feet and listen. Where is God calling us to? The third truth is that, that Jesus not only equips us, but he empowers us through his Holy Spirit. Look at the passage in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Easter Sunday afternoon, I, we watched a movie called The Resurrection. I don't know if any of y'all saw it. It's, it's pretty good. But there was, there was a scene there that the disciples had went to the upper room and they were waiting on the promised spirit that Jesus had told them that was coming. And the sky opens up and the wind starts to blow and the fire of God falls and is coming out the windows. And it's just a tremendous sight. And as soon as that subsides, the door slings open and all the disciples are running out, going to the temple to witness. There was a boldness that had come over them. They didn't care what they were going to face. They didn't think about persecution or even their life. They went out boldly for Jesus because the Spirit had empowered them to do that. Jesus had equipped them to do that. And now they were going full of his Spirit to tell people the good news about Jesus. See, this power helps us to go out and serve, and more importantly, share our faith boldly. Now, I know many people have a fear of sharing their faith with others, sharing the gospel with others. Maybe it's just that you don't feel like you know enough of the scriptures. We gave you this for our Roman study. <laughs> it's really, really easy. You can share the gospel with this very, very easily just out of one book. Don't let fear get in the way of you doing what you've been empowered to do. Don't be fearful of spiritual conversations with others. Because the one thing we must never forget is the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be witness, witnesses for him. It's not us. It's him. And after you become a follower of Jesus, this same Holy Spirit lives within you. He's your counselor, your teacher. He's the one that convicts you of sin when you do something wrong. He's the one that says, hey, you, you, you shouldn't be doing that. 
He's always with us. He's the one who teaches us all truth. And he's the one that gives us to be powerful witnesses for him. And as fishers of men, we just called to cast a net. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws in the hearts of men and women. It's not us. We will never save anyone. Only God working through his spirit can do that. It reminds me of a mission trip I took some 20 years ago. Lord, I hope I can get through this. Every time I talk about this, I just get very emotional. It's very moving. We took a group of high school students to Georgia for some inner city ministry. And as part of our planning, we spent a lot of time praying and asking God, where do we go? What are we going to be doing there? And we, we partnered with our local church and uh, to do some outreach. So we were praying, God, use us powerfully to be witnesses for you. We want to see people come to Christ. So we partnered with this local church, and in midweek we were supposed to go out and do a street party in the parking lot of a funeral home in downtown Atlanta. So the purpose was to invite people from all this community to come to a cookout and have some worship music and, more importantly, to share the gospel with them. So we got there at the beginning of the week, and we had to go to Sam's and get all the food for our group and the outreach. And so we come out and we've got uh, 10 to 12 buggies full of food. And now, if you have never been to Sam's with 20 teenagers, it's pretty interesting. So we come outside and there's, we're, we're unloading all this and there's a policeman there. He says, what in the world are y'all doing with all this food and all these teenagers? And I told him we were doing some ministry in the inner city and he asked me the organization and I told him and I told him about the street party and he says, well, where is it going to be? I said, well, it's going to be at the funeral home at Simpson and Ashby. And he looked at me. He had a frown on his face. He said, son, we don't even go to Simpson and Ashby. He said, that's the worst place in the city of Atlanta. There's more drugs and gangs and everything. You shouldn't be doing that. And I looked at him. I said, well, but Jesus goes. And he's called us to go and share about him. So that's what we're going to do. So the day came about the street party on the middle of the week. And we arrived there with our ministry partners. And I must say, they really wasn't partners. We had bodyguards. These guys were big and they had their yellow shirts on that said blood and fire. You see, they had been ministering there for many years and they had earned the respect and the trust of the community. And so when they were there, we were safe. But they did tell us to stay really close because we were going to walk around for an hour and a half and invite people to come to the street party. <laughs> now, I got to say, we were not... Uh, greeted with enthusiasm by everybody. A lot of people would tell us, man, you're just here to feel good about yourself. What are y'all doing here? You need to get out of our neighborhood. See, we didn't fit into the culture, the social, economic environment of the people in this community. And I got to say, emotions were really high with the students and with our leaders as they witnessed all this. 
Many of them, I know we're thinking, what in the world has Sonny got us involved in here? Why, why are we here? We're going to get killed. But one thing was for sure, and we kept reminding everyone of this. Look, guys, we're called. We've been called and sent here at this moment in time, and the Holy Spirit will protect us and empower us for this ministry. So the music began. The smell of food was in the air, and the people started to flood through the gates. Now, the cost of this event was that everybody had to go through a hug line. That's right. I lined up all the students and leaders, and we lined up them. We made two lines, and everybody that came in had to get a hug on both sides, and they were, they were supposed to tell them, God bless you. God loves you. Now, at first, everybody was really apprehensive. You see, these people didn't look like us, and they certainly didn't smell like us. But something transformative happened. And I could see it happening through the Spirit of God. The youth's face started to change as people went through the line. And the closer they got to the front, they were in tears just from the human touch and those words, God loves you. We were in tears as we saw the power of God to bring transformation, break down racial lines, break down differences, and love one another. Now, on this trip, I took my wife and two small kids. And, uh, you know, a young teenage lady, my daughter was probably 12, going on to 13. She had to go to the bathroom. The funeral home's closed. So... My wife, two bodyguards, and a lady from the ministry had to go across the street to a bar to let her go to the restroom. And when they got there, this young lady came out of the bar, and she was a mess. It was very apparent that she was high and strung out on drugs. Her speech was slurred. She was very, very thin. Her clothes were tattered and dirty. Basically, she was just a mess. She got invited to come across the street to the party. She was hungry, and she came. And that night, the gospel was shared powerfully. She heard the call of Jesus on her life, and she answered that call. She bowed her head, and she prayed for salvation, and she gave her life to the Lord. See, we witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation, and we never know who it's going to be or how it's going to work out. We're just supposed to be obedient to witness for him. Now, a lot of you might be thinking, okay, well, where, where can I start to be a witness? I, I certainly don't want to go to Simpson and Ashby to start with. But I believe what we find in Acts 1.8 seems to be this pattern. And it begins with Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jerusalem was kind of seen as a starting place. It was 
considered the holy city of God and still is. It held the first temple. It's a dwelling place for God's presence. In Jerusalem, the disciples witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. They received the empowerment of the Spirit. It's where they first went out after the empowerment to share the gospel with their own people first. And I believe this is the same pattern for us. We should begin to be a witness in our own Jerusalem. And what I mean by that, in our own homes, with our own families, with our own community, and then we can branch out into the world. Start at home. And it just begin by praying. Now, this is a very dangerous prayer, by the way. Lord, send me someone today to share the good news with. He will do that. You will be surprised how that works. We just have to be intentional in listening. One of the good things with COVID is that a lot of people have been in their, in their neighborhoods more and more people have gotten to know neighbors during this time. That's a good thing. It's a good, good way for you to witness to your neighbors now. It's a good thing. We've looked at how followers of Jesus are called, equipped, and empowered. And the fourth and final truth is that followers of Jesus are sent. John 17, 18 through 21, we find this calling of being sent by Jesus in his high priestly prayer for his disciples and for all followers today. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe through their message. The message is that God the Father sent his son into the world. We're sent people. We're sent equipped and empowered and now we're sent out of every place with the message of the gospel. You know, our mission statement at River Oaks sums up the whole message today. It's building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. Reach others with what? Good works? No, with the gospel. What people need more than anything else is Jesus. The guy that's in prison, yes, he wants his freedom, but his greatest freedom is found in Christ alone. The drug addict that wants to get free of her addiction, the only freedom she's going to have is in Jesus. The person who is hungry at the food bank who needs food, yes, they need food, but they need spiritual food. Their greatest need of everyone is to know who Jesus is. Now, we do that here by our discipleship. Helping people understand the gospel. That's why we've been going through Romans. To help you to go out and do that. And then the local team, and we're going to talk about that later, has things set up for you to give you opportunities to go out and share with others. But not, we're not only sent, though. We're sent out with a purpose. Look at Matthew 28, 18. A lot of you familiar with this passage. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always. Here's Jesus' final 
commands, his final things to uh, teach to his disciples called the Great Commission. Now, I believe it's very important for us to understand something. That first imperative call in the Greek to come to me is the same that we see here. It's another imperative call. It's not an invitation. It's a command to go and make disciples. It's something that all followers of Jesus are called to do. Think about that. He's called us to come to him and then go out from him. That's what we're called to do. I think a lot of people look at the word go in that, in that passage and they think that that's the main emphasis here. That we're set aside a special time or a place to go and make disciples. However, this passage reads like this. When you go or while you are going, make disciples. While you're going through life, while you're going through your daily routine, while you're going out to share local in local missions, share the gospel and help make disciples. This is applied to every area of our life. This is done, done through a nurturing instruction on the teachings and truth of God's word. It's how new believers live boldly for Jesus and they do the same for others. See, this is how the kingdom of God grows give you an example. Remember the girl in Atlanta who was powerfully saved that night? We went back to Atlanta six months later to, do another, to work with the different ministries, but I went back to Blood and Fire and was talking to the pastor there, David. And I asked him, I said, David, where's the young lady, the blonde-haired lady that got saved the night of the outreach? And he had a big smile on his face. He says, there she is in the front of the church. See, they had taken her and they poured into her life. They helped her with her basic food and, and housing because she was homeless and she was strung out. And they had been discipling her the, since the night that she said yes to Jesus. And what we saw and heard was amazing. Her countenance had changed. She looked healthy. She was dressed nicely. And she was leading a Bible study in the front of the church to a bunch of ladies who were addicted and they were seeking freedom. See, this is the result. This is the result of what happens when we live boldly for followers of Christ. Maybe he's calling you to be a witness to your family, your neighbor, or your community. The point here is this. As followers of Jesus, we're sent. <laughs> we need to be praying where God might be calling us to go and make disciples, to be a witness for him. The Bible talks about we're supposed to always be ready to do that. Today, as we come to the end of this service, I wanted to share with you just a real short video. This is two people in our church that have went out in our community and have served with some of our local missions, and I want you to hear the impact on their lives and others as they've done this. Yes, you can do that. You see, that's the purpose of local missions, 
It's not to hand out money. It's to send the sent people in this room to go and share the gospel and make a difference and pour into other people's lives. We are praying that 80% of our members are involved somehow in these local ministries, and that's kind of like this much. It's very aspirational, but you know what? That's what we're called to do as sent people. I love this quote from Andrew Murray in his devotional, The Life-Changing Power of Servanthood. He says, The follower of Jesus makes the salvation of the soul the first object in his ministry of love. At the same time, seeking to reach others by the ready service of love and the little and common things of daily life. But he says our highest calling in serving others should always begin and end with the gospel of Jesus, which brings life. That's what we need. We need to be sent to share and be used of him. And it wraps up this sermon with our passage from a Roman study. 116. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Would you pray with me? Lord, to everyone who believes, Lord, I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here who has never did like Peter did and bowed down to Jesus and called him Lord, or if there's people watching online this morning that's never really heard the call of God, Lord, I pray today it would be the day that they hear you say, come, follow me. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years ago plus, Lord, you came and you died on a cross for us. And, Lord, we know that your word says that none of us are righteous, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life in you that you have given us. We've made, been made right with you for, through your, re, your death and resurrection, and we have peace with you. We've been made right with you. And all you ask, Lord, is for us to hear your call to come and follow me and confess that I'm a sinner and that I'm in need of a Savior. And I believe that you died and rose again for me. And Lord, because of that, you give us a new life. We turn our life to you. We allow you to be in control, allow you to lead and, lead and guide us. We allow you to be the one who watches over our hearts. And so, Lord, I, just, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, I just pray, God, that they would hear that call of the Lord Jesus today and turn their hearts to you and ask for forgiveness and receive your free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as a way of personal application for this today, we're trying to do some things to help you get out and get involved in the community. 
May 15th, we're going to have a picnic here, a church-wide picnic. We hadn't had one in a while. But what we're going to do is this, we're going to invite all of our local ministry partners that, and they're going to come and be here and give you all the opportunities they have for you to go out and get involved and serve someplace. Everyone has different gifts. There'll be places that you can plug into. Just go and try this. You'll be amazed. You'll be like the people here. When you see God at work, it's very emotional. But God does something through you. He wants to use you. So come and look at all the opportunities that you've got. The next thing is we've put on our Church Center app. And if, if you hadn't downloaded that, you need to do that. But on the Church Center app, you'll look. And one on the home page, it says uh, share and serve. Right there's all the local ministries that we support that you can go and serve in. All the details, the contact information. It's really easy. We, we really want to help you go and do this. And then today as you leave, you'll find this at the Resource Center. Here's a list of all of our local ministries for you to really get involved in. And so um, please do that. Don't let this be, oh, it's a good lesson today. I want you to go out and take this and apply it to your spiritual life. Do you realize what could happen Everybody in here on one Saturday went out and shared the gospel. We'd have to put another balcony in here because that's how the kingdom grows. So be it. Think about this. Pray about this. Ask God where he might be calling you and sending you to go. Let's close with worship.